Hello, everyone. Welcome to Behind Massive Screens, a game development podcast here for a massive entertainment in Malmo. So we started this podcast slash video project, used to be video, two and a half years ago. It feels not like two and a half years. Something happened with time in between start of 2020 and now. But yeah, two and a half years ago, we recorded our first episode and then we talked about narrative design. And since it's been so long, <laughs> I thought we'd revisit the subject together with Shella, narrative designer here at Massive. Welcome. Thank you. It's so, so nice. Lovely it is, space it you is. have here. <laughs> I know, sadly, like the listeners can't see, but we right. spent a lot of energy. If you look at the trailers, I think on social, you can see mm -hmm. it. Yeah, but it's really well, I nice. can verify to the li listeners that it's a nice little space. <laughs> it is. Oh, watch the Division 2 stream. They actually recorded in here. Um, but yeah, welcome. Thank you. So nice to have you it's here. It's good to be here. I'm glad. Uh, well, let's, let's just jump right in. Get into it. <laughs> Narrative designer on a top level. Mm -hmm. kind of just going to describe your job. In a, we're going to, of course, go into specifics. Mm -hmm. but just shortly going to describe what you do right so um as a narrative designer i am responsible for the um the player experience in terms of how they uh, experience the story and also um writing the dialogue um for the cutscenes and for the quests so working with a quest designer to design the the quest experience from a narrative point of view right so how how did you end up here at Massive. Also, one of, I'm going through the list of right. questions I ask everyone, yes. but how did you end up at Massive? Um, so I, d I don't know if you want me to start from the beginning. Just start from the beginning. Okay. <laughs> we have all the time in the world. <laughs> so um, I did a literature degree at university, and then I did a postgrad in journalism, and I became a journalist and a freelance copywriter. So um, you know, a commercial copywriter right. writing for PR agencies and things like that, and a games journalist at the same time. So within that role, I would um, present at talks and sort of, you know, when you see people hosting panels at um, big sort of games events and things like that, that would be me. Um, and then I uh, decided to go into writing games and I went on a week-long retreat writing retreat um with uh john ingold was one of the writers from inkle games he did um heaven's vault and 80 days and um david varela um they were the tutors and then rihanna pratchett was one of the guest tutors oh, nice. yeah so um learned about writing for games from really really great talented people so it was a good start and then from that, I um, signed up for a game jam at a city local to me. So I'm from the UK originally, and um, there was a game jam in Bristol, uh, which is in the southwest of England. And that's where I met Claire Morwood, who would become my co-dev and co-founder of my micro indie studio called Threefold Games. And so through that, I think both my um, sort of... Uh, you know, the um, 
kind of renown sounds like overly <laughs> <laughs> as a journalist but I had you know sort of a, a profile that's what I right. mean I had a sort of social media profile and I was speaking at lots of events so my that combination of that and before I forget was getting a lot of interest people were interested in it because it was about a woman with dementia which was unusual and so yeah so then I was invited to um, an event for games writers and then that's where I met uh, the narrative director, yeah, we're looking for writers at um, at Massive at the moment. Right. And um, you have to be able to move to Sweden, and I could at that point. I didn't think it was going to be a thing that I'd have to sort of, <laughs> a decision I'd have to really make. I was like, this is unlikely to happen, but right. it sounds kind of cool, so I'll apply for this job and see what happens. And then I got the job, and um, yeah, I was in shock for quite a long time. <laughs> I was like, I think You're I'm moving to shock. Sweden for this amazing dream job. And <laughs> How long have you been here now? Uh, it'll be three years in August. Yeah, so that's it's like, yeah. I, not to we're going to go right back to you um, but i just want to say 80 days is one of my absolute favorite games mm. ever and if you're looking for a narrative game go yeah. buy it on your phone yeah. it'll save you any flight you're on it doesn't yeah. matter how many yeah. hours it is that game is fabulous. yeah it is beautiful yeah they're always story have you played overboard yes I oh got my god i love I, I still have like one or two goals mm -hmm. left. Uh, it's right. a brilliant. It is brilliant. brilliant game. Yeah, yeah. Go buy all of Inkle stuff. Yeah, just buy Inkle games. Yeah. <laughs> this, this podcast is not sponsored by Inkle. <laughs> exactly. Feel free to sponsor us, John. Anyway, um, <laughs> let's get back into. But I, I, I want to touch on, and this is kind of a selfish thing, though. Uh, because I, I come from a games journalist background as well. I worked mm -hmm. this, uh, that for quite some time. And looking at, like, you see old colleagues and old friends, mm -hmm. like, over time, um, they do tend to go into the games industry. But it's typically reserved for PR, communication roles. Mm -hmm. um, but what, what did you learn kind of from your journalist background? How did that kind of feed into what you're doing now? Yeah, I mean, so I was always writing fiction on the side as well, right. um, quite seriously. You know, I ran a writing group and things. So, um, but I think games, like as a games journalist, it kind of followed on quite neatly from um, my literature degree yeah. because in that you're always you're analyzing storytelling, and so that's what you do. Um, you know, when you're writing reviews as a games journalist, you um, sort of analyzing what it's doing what it's doing well if something's doing something well how does it do that and how does it compare to other things so that kind of sets you up nicely for making games I think because you right. kind of understand at on you know a very sort of surface level at least you know you don't know until you sort of actually get into making a game you realize that you don't know <laughs> <laughs> what makes a great game but um yeah you sort of you have an understanding of um you know what a good player experience is or one that you like right. one that you appreciate um at least and how to appreciate even experiences that you don't like um, you know, for instance, like a sports game or something, if yeah. I had to review that, um, I could appreciate a good sports game, even though it's probably not my go-to genre and things like that. And then 
um, just journalism in general. Um, you deadlines are a thing <laughs> in journalism. <laughs> so yeah, just being able to hit deadlines, and I guess you um, within that profession, you get a um, that becomes your like way of working. That you you are sort of energized by those deadlines and yeah. um, like meeting them and things like that. And then I suppose the writing, even though it's not creative writing, you're still um, your voice has to adapt depending on what publication or organization you're working from uh, for. And even as a copywriter, a commercial copywriter, you know, I'd be writing in lots of different voices. So yeah. whether it was you know sometimes it was like for the credit reference agency you know sort of industry or you know like I had one client who made weird bits that go on ships and like in the engines of ships and things like that you know and you're just like yeah so there's all sorts of and then sometimes you're writing press releases for people who want to hire a car to go somewhere nice sure. on in Italy or something like that so your, your voice changes all the time and I think that's great for writing fiction as well because you can uh, really tap into what makes that voice yeah. that voice you know like what is a formal voice what is like how does the language change so i think journalism is a really great set of tools yeah i, I one thing you brought up there because with all the guests we've had and we looked at different backgrounds where people come from and various forms of education or not education that people have mm -hmm. that have led them into the industry i don't think literature is one we've ever had mm. oh we had one but she's in communications <laughs> Um, how has that helped you on your journey here? Yeah, I mean, um, the same in the same sort of way as you know the analytical thinking, and I suppose just having a broad sense of literature. I also I went to an international school, so I did the international baccalaureate, and the literature program on there is really excellent because you do world literature. Um, whereas if I stayed in the UK, I would have just been doing Chaucer and Shakespeare and, right. you know, just like in Dickens <laughs> and all those things. But, you know, I did like Cry the Beloved Country and I did Boris Pasternak, I did Dr. Shivago and, you know, um, and you, the, the program sort of studies literature that's sort of topical for the time. And, um, so that was really great. So even that university, um, hopefully it's changed a bit now and you know it's more um more of a global outlook on literature programs hopefully but um yeah so it just gives you um a grounding in like the tradition of western storytelling right. depending on which literature program you do but yeah so for me um so it's like um references to the bible are in a lot of sort of um european western literature and to sort of like roman and uh greek mythology and things like that and um yeah and just like poetry as of understanding of poetry and meter and rhyme and um yeah just sort of a deep appreciation for language and how it's used and um the sort of i guess the the history of storytelling um, and, you know, games is now in that grand tradition of storytelling. Yeah, I was just about to say, it's fairly cool that we've come to a point where all of that, that even if games have been trying, of course, to tell stories for such a long time, like coming to a point where really that kind of mm -hmm. education that you have mm -hmm. really like comes into play 
in video games. Yeah, 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 completely. Um, you know, because, you know, when I was studying lin- literature, be, um, you know, you'd start with, um, you know, sort of Shakespeare and um, maybe Chaucer, if you're doing a quite t- traditional literature program. I mean, mine was a little bit more more modern sort of focused um a little bit later started a little bit later so um and then it sort of um introduces the concept of the novel and what is a novel and um as we understand it and um so you read something like Moby Dick or something which is considered an early novel um in the western tradition anyway and then yeah so it's quite interesting to to see how games fits into that and you know sort of modernism and how that um sort of uh dismantled lots of things about the novel and um took it to a different place and theater and modernist theater and things like that which you know games shares a lot with you know like how theater is um aware of the audience and the the interaction of the audience and how that affects and feeds into the performance and um so games and theater have this sort of close uh relationship that i think is sometimes overlooked in favor of cinema because you know cinema is big and flashy it's the glamorous one (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i think theater has a lot to offer us and you know sort of people who write and work in theater would be really cool people to attract to games i think yeah the the cultural studies student uh inside of me is waking up now. <laughs> oh let's have a discussion about postmodernism and video games <laughs> um but, but uh let's actually we, we're gonna dwell a little bit more on on your background because we you touch upon it very briefly uh before i forget uh a game mm-hmm. you only two people uh, that made it. Please uh, just tell us a little about, about where that came from and how you got started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was more than two people, um, you know, as we went on, but it started with um, just three people we were thrown together at this game jam. And um, the theme was Borders. It was um, an XX Plus game jam. So it was for women and non-binary people, which was one of the reasons I signed up to it. Um because game jams felt like this intimidating space um, as a writer, non-technical person, and, you know, whether people would laugh me out of the room. It's like, <laughs> it's like look at this one, I she's agree. a writer. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I signed up for this game jam, and that's where I met Claire, and uh, we kind of kicked around some ideas, um, you know, there were lots of you know, Trump was threatening to build a wall. There was the Syrian refugee crisis was going on at that time. So there was lots of, you know, topical um, issues around borders. And then I had this idea. I was just in a scrappy notebook of writing ideas that was um, about dementia. It was just that. It was just like person with dementia, (laughs) Um, question mark (laughs) kind of thing. And so I was like, oh, I had this idea for someone with dementia for a story or something. I was like, how about that? How about if we look at psychological borders? And so that immediately gave us our setting and what type of person she would be you know what her age range might be and um both Claire and I are interested in telling stories that games might not otherwise tell and so yeah it just really worked for us and so um the ideas just bounced immediately um so yeah it's basically an exploration a narrative exploration game 
um, a little bit similar to something like Gone Home, where you walk around a house that's in grayscale until you interact with certain objects, and then color bleeds into that part of the world. And Sunita, um, it triggers a memory for her. Um, so she is a woman with dementia, an Indian woman with dementia, and you're piecing together her life and she's looking for someone called Dylan and uh, you're trying to find him by interacting with your sort of fragments of her life Um, but because she has dementia she's an unreliable narrator so um, sometimes there are things that you know happened but she's forgotten again or yeah Um, you know we have uh, a segment where she can't find the bathroom she needs to go to the toilet and um, yeah so we use um, different uh, techniques to kind of confuse and dismantle that idea of um, the play or games as a power fantasy because um, you can't have that when uh, you have dementia that's that sort of yeah so it's about sort of um playing with the ca- the power fantasy of games and so like on what stories they can tell by like looking at that dynamic right what how did you so you, you started the 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 idea and conceptualization came from a game jam but you kept working on mm-hmm. it afterwards yeah yeah so we won the audience choice award so it was the one that That's everybody yeah everybody at the game jam was like it was the one they wanted to see finished the most and i'm pretty i'm 99 sure if that hadn't happened we'd have gone like oh it's really nice meeting you bye right. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah that sort of like literally changed both of our lives because <laughs> we were like oh should we try and do you know like carry on and see what happens and yeah and so then four years later uh we were nominated for a BAFTA in game beyond entertainment um like alongside like animal crossing and like it was just like (laughs) what is happening (laughs) which is where we had our launch party in animal crossing because uh we launched in 2020 (laughs) (laughs) so yeah we were a 2020 launch game that's what you did Yeah. Uh, no, because I would say I've, I've received that um, that tip before. Like, mm-hmm. Go to a game jam, be part mm. of it. And, and as someone that knows has no technical skills either, it, it I agree with you. It feels mm, yeah. just idea feels intimidating. Yeah, yeah. What am I supposed to contribute? Bring, but yeah. obviously, yeah, yeah. You should still do game jams. Yeah, I, I mean, unsurprisingly, I recommend game <laughs> jams. <laughs> so yeah weird if you didn't yeah yeah i mean i think it can depend on the game jam as well i mean um you know this was created by someone who was very focused on inclusivity like even to she was like we're not going to work all night because people have kids and you know people they care for and things like that and um so it's not going to be this kind of crunch culture kind of game jam and we'll have it at a certain time of day that makes it able to fit around like childcare and things like that so yeah um and i think there are more game jams now that you can pick the ones that are going to be good for you good fit for you yeah it's not just a uh, young person's mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, anymore. yeah, exactly. No, it's, it's good, good thing for me. <laughs> um, but let, let's actually try to move over to your yeah. job here at NASA. Mm-hmm. I think we could talk about these things that we've been talking about now for a long time. The postmodernism thing is going to be a separate episode. Um, 
how does a narrative designer, what does what does a typical day look like? Mm -hmm. You get to work in the morning, right? Get to the work in the morning. What happens? Um, the one thing that always happens is I always open Jira, <laughs> <laughs> I always open Confluence, and um, uh, so we always have stand up. Um, that's a thing that happens every day, which is um, a very short meeting to just. Uh, where you just get to know what everybody's working on that day. And then um, for me, a day could be, it, they're varied. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that's usually the <laughs> yeah. answer we get. Yeah. Stand up, email, right. and then chaos. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but, and it depends what stage of the project we're at, because if it's early in the project, then, you know, we won't be working on scripts yet. We'll be working on sort of, paper design um so just sort of um throwing ideas around for quest flow and so there'll be meetings with the quest designer and um our level designer to sort of um carve this player experience um uh for whatever beats we have of that part so the the overall story beats will be um, sort of thrashed out by the narrative director and then um, we get that um, to the, the bare bones of the story so we know where we need to be sort of emotionally and in terms of the plot at certain points and then we have our quests that we sort of design so then we might have conversations with um, like audio, if we want to do something special with audio, um, like we want to follow a noise or hear a noise happening that interrupts something. And yeah, so we sort of intersect with loads of teams and like prop art and things like that. And then um, like later on in the project, we'll be writing scripts and that might could be all we're doing um, because deadlines might be tight and um, so yeah you're just sort of um, writing a script getting it over to your lead uh, well probably the first thing I do is send it to the other writers um, so like have a look get some notes from them then do like another draft or another couple of drafts and then send it to my lead and sometimes um, in those periods we'll have writing workshops basically where we feed back sort of kind of a writing room scenario where we like literally sit and act out our scenes which is kind of fun <laughs> um sounds like a dream really yeah it is it is uh, uh yeah i have to pinch myself quite often that yeah i get to do this like <laughs> talk about the minutiae of a fictional world you know like like really seriously yeah <laughs> Like, seriously, how do they do this? <laughs> um, and then, you know, we get to go to the to um, attend the mocap shoots, which is really interesting and see how the cinematic director works with the actors and have a movement coach and um, which is really interesting watching that whole process for the actors and how they um have the rig on and the mocap suit and things like that and just how um that studio functions um so that's really awesome experience and also seeing your words finally come to life yeah. is amazing and um yeah the sort of like ultimate reward um yeah it's a really great moment and then that all comes back and goes to like animators and audio people and brings it even more to life and yeah, yeah sort of layers on does that answer 
Does that that, answer the day-to-day sort of? I I mean, it it sounds like a very long day. Yeah, uh, (laughs) those are different days on different parts of the project. (laughs) I'm going to do a shameless plug and go listen to episode three, I think, uh, Sue Kang uh, from Cinematics. Talks Mm. a lot about how to work with the mocap and planning out the shoots and stuff like that. Nice. Uh, As a a follow-up, once you're done with this episode. (laughs) Um, But I think uh, one thing... To make a, a, a kind of a because you're you're not a narrative writer, mm-hmm. you're a narrative designer. Mm-hmm. Kind of the difference there between a right. Obviously, you write a lot, mm-hmm. you write scripts, scripts, etc. But what's the difference there? What is it? Why? Why is your job? In another world, in another question, why is your job called narrative designer? This is like the million dollar industry question. Yeah. <laughs> Because every studio like calls, yeah, has a different definition for what a narrative designer is. is. That's why there are so many narrative designer GDC talks available online. Yeah, probably because yeah. everyone's trying to figure <laughs> out. What, yeah, because it's um, it's different in different places, but at least we are. It's because we are work so closely. So the narrative designer is made up of two people essentially so it's the quest designer and the writer right so i'm narrative designer on the writing team and um we're all sort of buddied up with a quest designer for a particular quest and um together we are concerned with um how to tell the story and how the player um experiences that story right and within a game, you have a certain number of tools that help you tell that story. And so those can be, depending on what your game is, those game, that can be, you know, full cinematic cutscenes. Um, and then it can be, um, you know, your gameplay verbs, whether, I don't know, you have investigation moments or... Um, you know, like whether you can speak to other characters, you know, what you're doing within the world yeah. will sort of um, uh, create constraints as to how you tell the story, but also um, like shape how the player interacts with the world. So, right. um, you know, like something like Mario, for instance, you know, he's like run jumps and, you know, he has quite like, he doesn't speak. And right. um, so, yeah, so you don't have dialogue. That's not one of your storytelling tools in a Mario game, for instance. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's all with sort of world design and um, audio and like the beautiful animation and things like tells the story. Um, and then, yeah, with sort of like a, a, a lavish AAA game, you have like all the toys, <laughs> 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 which can create its own challenges yeah. um, because then it's how to be discerning with right. um, with those aspects. Right. Episode two, game design, we talk about gameplay verbs. Nice. Uh, I just want to learn more about that. Sorry. I like that. <laughs> See, this is the, this is what a narrative designer or writer on the team does, touches all the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's all been it's all been a continuation. It's a continuing story up until this episode. Yeah, exactly. This is a crescendo. <laughs> um, no, what was I thinking about there? Uh, yeah, it's when having that kind of conversation, you, you talk about uh, like restrictions or possibilities or like how gameplay comes into it. 
what you can do with those, those tools you're given in a, in a certain project, be it, be it a huge AAA or uh, a more uh, a, an indie, smaller indie project. Um, what kind of comes first in those kinds of conversations? Game design, narrative design, story? Like how, how do those things come together when planning out the game? Um, well, I suppose on... Hmm, interesting. <laughs> um, well, it's different, I think, on an indie project, or a very small project, like Before I Forget, um, compared to um, a bigger AAA project. Well, my experience of sure. a big AAA um, project is that the the story, the the treatment for the story is already there, um, but then the but the the and then we have a very top level sort of beats for the quests. Um, so it could be I don't know. At this point, they find the treasure in their grandfather's attic or something right. like that. But then it would be. Um, so I guess in that respect, the story comes first, but then it's, um, when you get down to the nitty gritty, it's like, well, how do we get to the attic? Are there goblins on the ladder up to the, you know, like, you <laughs> right. know, what, or whatever it is, you know, we try and decide like, what is the coolest way yeah. that we can get to the attic to get that treasure? And, you know, um, and we want the player to be doing something as much as possible as opposed to, because we're not a movie. Right. We want people to play the game, not watch the game. So it's like, how can we make the most of, like when we're using a cinematic, it's because it's going to be so epic and awesome that we couldn't do it any other way, That uh, or it enhances what's just happened in gameplay to right. such an extent that it's just going to be super duper awesome and the player's going to be like, wow. So, um, yeah, it just happens all together kind of weirdly. <laughs> <laughs> it's alchemy, what can I say? <laughs> yeah, the reason I'm wondering is sometimes you have gameplay and if the story's there too, like you have the game designers and everything, it's like, this is how this is how feature x works. Mm -hmm. if then narrative can come in it's like we're going to justify mm -hmm. why this is the way it is mm -hmm. um or i guess then in some cases narrative comes in like okay we need this feature to yeah. be able to enhance like finding the grandfather's treasure we, right. we actually need this yeah ladder full of goblins yeah yeah exactly so yeah it is it does sometimes depend even on the the quest because right. yeah sometimes a quest is gameplay heavy you know maybe it has more combat in it or something um whatever it might be and then um yeah but it doesn't mean that any that the the narrative or the storytelling is secondary it's just like okay we're doing it this way yeah so it's never like that story overrides gameplay it's finding a way for to balance those things yeah. so that they enhance each other um which is like the cool nifty challenge that we have every day <laughs> and it's hard. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I, I think we talked to um, uh, in that first episode and what I really like is, as an example of just like not justifying, but how these two things come together into one is from Control by mm -hmm. Remedy. Mm -hmm. You have, okay, so we're, we need all these kinds of weapons mm -hmm. that, the, that, the, that the character should use but the setting does not really allow for all of a sudden I have a rocket launcher on my shoulder. But then everything just comes together inside one gun, mm -hmm. which is then used as a narrative tool to mm -hmm. kind of build the world around us, mm -hmm. uh, which I just found 
fascinating when you realize like okay this is such a great way of marrying mm -hmm. gameplay with now i have a shotgun now yeah. i have a automatic weapon all in this one thing right. while narrative gets to really shine and tell the story through right yeah i mean like Edith Finch has become a cliche to use as an example of beautiful yeah. <laughs> marriage of um, gameplay and uh, storytelling. Um, yeah, the sort of the, the fish factory scene, that whole oh. that whole sequence yeah. is just beautiful. And, um, you know, that you're uh, chopping fish with one hand and navigating through um the history of role-playing games in right. <laughs> game design with the other is like what that whole sequence is is yeah. basically you know because it goes from isometric to 3d um yeah sort of fully realized um sort of rpg type um scenario which is just like okay wow yeah. <laughs> um yeah and it's beautiful when those moments happen um yeah, yeah. and that's what you're always trying to Strive to you're always trying to be Edith Finch. <laughs> <laughs> but you were, you were discussing other teams like quest designers and, and you're talking to, to game design. How do you work with those different teams in, in general? Mm -hmm. Well, with the quest design team, I mean, extremely closely, we're like two halves. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, it, yeah, that's really lovely. I love that, um, like really close working relationship we have um and then we have a level designer so it's really that trio of people um and then later the level artist will come on and um just elevate everything so it's like yeah the next time i play the quest i'll be like oh wow i've forgotten that it's not going to be gray boxes forever because <laughs> you get so used to it it's like wow this looks stunning um yeah so it's just lots of meetings basically um and uh sort of brainstorming sessions and um playing the quest together so we'll sit and play through um not even the whole quest sometimes it'll be like certain levels um because it might be different level designer on a level in the different part of the quest so you'll sit and play through a level and see what's not working and what the solution is and you know what the neatest way is like um if there's like um a gap in the gameplay verb so that we might have to do it with more dialogue or um you you know find another way around it or maybe there's a puzzle that we could get in here and things like that or you know like what's not working like what what are people not understanding about what we're trying to say here or where we're trying to direct the player and things right. like that so yeah so there's all sorts of ways that um we help each other it's like oh i need to convey this um like emotional beat is there a cool thing we can do with gameplay and then vice versa is like oh like players don't don't understand this this bit they don't they can't make the connection from here to there so could we have some dialogue that um uh or some storytelling that will help them go this way right how do you, it sounds like you have to stay very very flexible all the time You're adding removing adding removing oh yeah yeah yeah. And it's supposed to make sense at the end. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, creating all of all of this, keep digging into to your job a little bit. What kind of tools, like actual software tools mm -hmm. you use to to create yeah. these stories? I mean, I think we're really lucky at Massive. 
because we have Snowdrop and um, Oasis and we get to write in the engine, which is really cool. So that we're in the same space as all the other designers, which is really great. And we sort of understand where, well, we don't understand, but <laughs> we're in the same space. I mean, like I've seen people like be in the writing tool and they're just like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> like, it's just like, what is this? Um, so, yeah, but it's nice to, um, we understand how the quest designers hook up the quests and things like that. And, um, you know, some writers in in games are writing in Excel and I feel sad oh, for yeah, them. Yeah. <laughs> I feel so sad. How do they do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was actually shown a couple of examples uh, of that a couple of weeks ago and I was, oh, wow. was staring at the tools like, this is, this is kind of insane. <laughs> yeah, I know, this isn't right. <laughs> no. um, but what, what writing that, like talking about Excel and talking about the tools, like compared to before I forget like, mm -hmm. what that is, so, of course, it's two huge different things. Mm -hmm. uh, but what kind of tools did you use back then as mm -hmm. the, to craft that story? Mm -hmm. So um, I wrote a lot of it longhand. I think I wrote all of it longhand because um, that's one of the things about my process that changed from Indie to AAA because AAA, you just need to get it done. <laughs> 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 There's no time for like, you know, sort of <laughs> being lofty <laughs> with my pretty notepad. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, and because it was a game jam game, I was literally like scribbling it on a piece of paper. Right. Uh, you know, I remember writing it, sitting up in bed that night. I like, I had some idea. So, and then, um, I knew that game writers, some game writers wrote in Excel, but I couldn't imagine how they did that. So I ignored that <laughs> and just wrote it like a film script in yeah. a Google Doc. Um, yeah, so I did it that way. But then Claire, she wanted the lines. I think she did Im import them into Excel. Um, I did want to use Ink um, by oh. Inkle Games, but yeah. um, I just never got the time to kind of get my head around it for the integration into unity and stuff like that so it's quite ankle is a very powerful tool it for is storytelling. yeah incredibly powerful tool so um yeah would have had that learning curve that would have just slowed us down too much yeah. just um when we could have done we just did it yeah so i just wrote it like a, a script in google docs and yeah. then it went into excel so it was all number yeah so it went Number. So it went into Excel otherwise. Yeah, <laughs> anyway. but I, 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 didn't, I wasn't writing in there. <laughs> <I didn't do laughs> it. The, the crucial difference is like, yeah, I think I put stuff into Excel once and I put it in story order. Yeah. And Claire was like, can you not? Because <laughs> she was the programmer. She's like, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, you have to put it the robot way. <laughs> it's like, I was like, oh, I thought it was being helpful. And yeah, it's, yeah. But this is a great example, actually, even even in a, in a small project like that, the mm -hmm. kind of the, the, the inner workings of yeah. narrative and, yeah, and, yeah. and gameplay. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I learned a lot from working with Claire just on that tiny project yeah. about um, the impact that something i write could have on like the animators or it's like you know and then a thousand dragons fly over the, around the hill and the animation team just dies on the spot <laughs> um yeah just um yeah you do learn to care about the what you 
the the implications for yeah. everybody else um on things that you might uh really really want yeah. <laughs> um you have i i asked you to put down a, a couple of points uh before we recorded this the stuff you you want us to talk about we've, we've been through most of it uh and more um but the last point you wrote down which i love is storytelling in games challenges and joys mm -hmm. can we talk a little bit what's the main i actually know kind of the answer that you will get to this but what what are the main challenges mm -hmm. when creating yeah the story in game? um well, I think both the challenge and the joy of writing games is the player. <laughs> that, that, that's the answer I knew it would be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, a challenge because uh, you have to try and anticipate what they're going to do mm. and um, what you know you don't want them to do. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, like where you want them to go, ideally, if you yeah. could just... <laughs> <laughs> or you know what you want them to do and so that's a challenge sort of always trying to anticipate that and you know that's a lot of what um you know the theory of game design and our jobs is is like how do we get the player to do these things that we want them to do because we've created this really cool experience for them right. and then part of the joy is you hand it over to players and then it's their game and then they, they run amok <laughs> <laughs> and you know they do something that you couldn't have anticipated i mean you know even um sort of gms on role-playing game oh, on yeah. tabletop role-playing will know this they've crafted this beautiful scenario and then the players just <laughs> do Way something else <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> but then it creates these other beautiful moments and you know that sort of emergent gameplay for instance you know um create like moves the medium forward because yeah. it's like oh wow this is really cool we didn't know they do that and then it's like we can create games that can enable to do that them to do that more or right. and then it's like how do we tell stories whilst they're just like running about doing whatever they like <laughs> <laughs> and you know it creates all sorts of like cool challenges um and constraints and uh yeah things to try and anticipate and solve which yeah. is one of the great things about you know storytelling in games yeah, you you talked about that before with with exploring and, and finding new ways to tell stories and actually finding out what video games can do and i guess at, at the end of the day it is about the player mm -hmm. yeah uh, and how they they actually they, as, a, as a game writer find out how the player will actually interact yeah. with whatever story you're trying to tell right yeah because there's only so much you can do to try and you know sort of craft that experience you know unless you're uh telling a very linear kind of story you know like tight storytelling like a naughty dog game or, or something but yeah. but even within that so i think you know the sort of like breakout combat moments you know there's some freedom to do it the way you want to do and you know like your 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 play style and things like that um but otherwise there's only so much you can do and then you watch which is why you know like play tests and um playing each other's quests is so important and um yeah watching someone play your game for the first time is like oh wow i mean you know there were design decisions that we made in before i forget from watching people play the game that then sort of like changed the sort of gameplay pillar of the, of the game you know one of the pillars the design pillars um so 
yeah, like getting hands on the game is so important because you can see what people are want to do or what they're not understanding or yeah. um yeah. Yeah, I usually I usually tell us the story to to uh to writers of video games when I was playing Bioshock with a friend and the dramatic moment there's really like tight fairly linear storytelling and it is dramatic and some of them big reveal I'm like oh let's go and I'm sitting there just ready to rush forward and he just turns around and starts rummaging through garbage bins and I was like dude we have we're we're in the middle of this dramatic scene we have to go that way no let's see like there's a fat loot in here yeah exactly <laughs> Uh, he comes in and, and yells at me uh, at times, like, there's something shiny there. I don't care. The plot is this way. Uh, so it's just how you create drama for for that kind of player. But I guess you just don't. Yeah, I mean, that's, I suppose that's one of the, the great things about the uh, games is, you know, there's that experience for, for both of you, or having the experience you want yeah. to have. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sometimes as a writer, it makes you cry, like, right to tears. <laughs> so just like, huh? I'm just going to rifle through this bag of rubbish because it might have a shiny thing in it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, you have to just accept that some players, that's not what they're playing for. The right. Yeah, the story isn't their reward. It's just kind of there and it's something to kind of get past. <laughs> <laughs> to get to the garbage. To, yeah, to get to the rubbish bags. <laughs> if I'm uh for any writers out there, if if they if talk to someone that that's interested in writing for video games, mm-hmm. do you have any like tips or or resources I I could turn to? Yeah, I mean in terms of resources, I think definitely um there's great GDC talks. Um and then in London, there's Adventure X, which is um, an event uh, focused on narrative games, and it's incredibly well curated. So even the games that they've had in um, uh, sort of expo that year will be awesome and interesting. But then they get incredible speakers. I think because there aren't um, narrative focused game events like that, or there's a couple more now but it was the only one so it would get really awesome speakers um and then um um who else there are blogs and things that i've just i've just gone out of my head (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah i turn to gdc talks quite a lot um i the game makers toolkit they do really great stuff as well um sort of yeah unpacking game design a lot it's not narrative focused necessarily but it is um it's really great to understand the other disciplines and how they work and how they fit with storytelling um and then yeah i suppose read a lot read widely um yeah go see theater um yeah analyze the stuff that you like why do you like it um i think look beyond games for your inspiration and um yeah sort of look beyond western um storytelling conventions as well for Mm. interesting ways to tell stories and play before i forget 80 days and overboard yeah that's my. i mean that would be key that's that sounds the holy trinity right there call me ankle (laughs) all right here (laughs) 
Uh, but thank you very much, Shella, for coming. It's been it's really been, fun. Been awesome. Thank um, you. A really bad at ending. Because <laughs> like, I think that's are we supposed to like shake hands and oh, yeah, no. like, <laughs> they can't see us. But thank you very much for <laughs> no, coming, Shella. It was great. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>